Welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Today I'm pleased to have uh, Florence Drummer all the way from PATH in Australia. Florence is many things. She's an executive director on corporate boards. She's a board of a foundation. She advises uh, national institutions. Uh, and she's a founder of uh, the Indigenous Women in Mining Resources in Australia. And this is the context in which I wanted to have, speak with her today. So Florence, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you so much, Sheila. It's such an honor to be spending this time with you. That's fantastic. So I, I just wanted to go to the Indigenous Women in Mining and Resources Australia uh, that you founded. What are you uh, hoping to achieve? Yeah, you know, the uh, IWIMRA, um, which which what it's now known well for, uh, you know, it was founded uh, in 2017 and, and it was really with the purpose of um, raising the voice uh, and finding value and being present uh, for Indigenous women uh, within the mining and resources sector here in Australia. Um, at the time when we first started, I was an operator uh, in WIPA, which is in far north Queensland in Australia. Um, and it really was um, an opportunity, I think, the curiosity around creating a community of Indigenous women in the sector. And we've certainly grown um, since then to become many more, much more than just a community. But it's a very um, a beautiful, thriving space. And I think it's evolving. So I think at this moment I can say this is what we started off as and our purpose. But I think because now we're evolving, we'll, we'll be much more for many other Indigenous women. That's fantastic. So you you use the the term finding a voice, and 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 clearly in the space of uh, public uh, participation, that's important. Tell me what finding a voice means uh, for Indigenous women in the mining and resource space in Australia. Yeah, you know, and even across Australia, and that's such an interesting question that we've really come to learn. Um, in Australia, mining experience is very contextual. So what I mean by that is as an Indigenous woman from far north Queensland, it's very a very different experience to say, for example, the Indigenous women's experience over here in Western Australia. And so we're becoming to really learn how that looks like, you know, really have that feeling of who we are as a voice um, and then, you know, being part of conversations, whether it be through private industry or government, to really make sure that we as Indigenous women have a seat at the table. And so I think for us, you know, that's really been our biggest learning and our biggest sense of purpose because, like I said earlier, you know, we started um, to, to think about all, that our purpose was around raising the voice and visibility of Indigenous women because when we looked outside into the world of mining, we couldn't see people that looked like us. So it was really about finding a sense of belonging. So this voice is, I, I guess it's a vehicle for this moment, but it's really having a sense of belonging in the industry and really thinking about what role we play as Indigenous women, not just as operators, but how can we really be um, full participants of the entire value chain and really bringing that that to life. And, and of course, you know, with the um, energy transition coming really, really fast, um, making sure that we're prepared as well. So really having a sense of responsibility of our, our future participation uh, within the mineral sector. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I want to stay with this notion of uh, finding our voice and uh, having a sense of belonging. In the concept of uh, 
ESG and but very specifically the governance and in social inclusion space. What would be the things that if uh, Australian Indigenous women uh, had a voice in, what are those things that would be transformational in terms of you having a clearer sense of belonging and a clearer sense of your role in the mining sector? Yeah, you know, and I think being informed is the very first part. I think access to education for us has been a really important, uh, a fundamental um I guess purpose and need, but uh, responsibility as well to ensure that we're informed around what's really happening around ESG and even understanding what ESG means, right? And then where we fit, what's our definition? Um, I believe that here in Australia, and this is certainly what I've seen over the last few years being and leading IWIMRA, is that there's so much um, so many different uh, terminologies around Indigenous inclusion. So, so for example, community rela- relations, uh, Indigenous peoples, First Nations as well, having that kind of definition be introduced to Australia. Um, and then, of course, you know, ESG, you know, social performance. Is this where we fit? And, and at what point do we fit? So I think, you know, um, besides, well, firstly, in terms of understanding where we fit in ESG and moving forward, it's understanding what we're talking about in the first place. So what I've really seen is is such an overwhelming, um, I guess, blanket of language. And for us who are operational at the coal face and, you know, in communities and and really being, you know, head down and, and operational, um, what's really important for us is really to understand where we fit in terms of the language and making sure that we can assist as much as possible our internal teams around um, reaching the true definition of how ESG can be impactful in our um, workplaces and, and then obviously overlaid with that as well with, D and I and, and all those types of things. So I, I think the point I'm really trying to make is that, yes, you know, there is a lot of voice in, in trying to find your voice in a swamp of, of evolving language that evolves very, very quickly. That's challenging as well to really remain dynamic and agile um, as a volunteer network. So for us, it, it's been a very steep learning journey, um, but one that we're experiencing um, and trying to be really active and present um, in the moment for this one. Yeah, that's interesting because I think you're quite right uh, in the sense of recognizing that uh, we live in times that are not just evolving, but evolving very fast. Uh, and, and and so that suggests, wouldn't it, Florence, that you are operating at different levels. First, you are trying to historically uh, place yourself in a position that you have a voice and mass. But then you're also trying to have a voice within the context of what is happening now so that you know you you are in the moment, you are uh, catching up. So how does one balance that? How are you finding in terms of your organization you know, that you can balance uh, catching up historically with being also in the contemporary moment? Yes, and this is where we truly came to understand what intersectionality means for us as a as a demographics, as a person, as a woman, you know, and it really kind of pulled together and really had to, you know, when you think about putting a mirror up to your history and yourself or, or, or whichever you're experiencing, you know, it really, for me anyway, when I, when I started really exploring this conversation for I Wimmer and for our network, we had a very vast um, amount of, women across different scopes and different parts of their journey or phases 
of, of what they're experiencing uh, in terms of their participation in, in across the minerals industry. And so for us, yes, that intersectionality really came to be and we started to really explore now the academic definition of who we are and how we were categorized academically, you know, how we've been studied over many decades and years. Um, and so, yes, you're right, that stretch towards understanding who we've de been defined as and then who we are um, as, as normal women and how we actually look like, um, that was a bit of a stretch, you know, to understand that this is our identity. And again, moving forward, you know, when we're thinking about the history of us and poverty and all those types of um, challenges that we have, these are the things that drive us to want to um, work towards economic empowerment with what we have. And so for us as well, if we go back to your, your previous questions, and this is what I should have covered, is that as Indigenous women here in Australia, and I feel this as well after many years of travel across um, the globe to, um, to meet Indigenous women and peoples, is that we certainly have a fragile relationship or fragile line that we walk because, you know, as Indigenous people, our care for country um, and our culture and our priority for country or land um, should be number one and should be priority. But the fact that, um, say, for example, statistically in Australia, we've got 2,000 plus Indigenous women working in the, in the sector of 200,000 plus uh, workforce, you know, we are there but we're there also with such a spiritual consciousness that this is such a challenge for us on many levels, you know, spiritually, cultural obligation and all these other challenges. So it's not just the physical, okay, historically poverty, this is how we're transitioning into um, financial or economic empowerment and, and being um, participants of the economy, but definitely a lot of challenges throughout our communities and our cultural obligations as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we have the specific space uh, of your concern, which is the voice of uh, Indigenous women in the mining and resource space. If one reflects uh, on the overall public voice and women in Australia, uh, how unique is the absence of the voice of Indigenous women versus the absence of the voice of women period in mining in your country? Yeah, and look, observing that and reflecting on that over the last couple of years, there's been a such a great push for greater diversity and gender equality in Australia. So I would say women in general in the workplace, specifically in mining, we're growing. Um, our communities are growing, you know, not only just physically but online. So you see a lot more women in mining groups now. And because Australia is such a large place, um, we have different regions that have women in mining groups or voices or communities. Um, but what I do see is still that challenge of, of us feeling like we belong in those groups as well. So in terms of our voice as Indigenous women, um, and, and, and I really want to flag as well that, you know, when we first started, there was concern around us creating um, segregation, you know, actively creating segregation around why are you having an Indigenous women's group when we should just be all women in the mining industry? You know, how can we have that collective community? Um, but, you know, to that to our defence as I Wimra, when we when we also started to experience uh, forums such as government forums and private sector forums and these roundtables that we've often sit, sat in on now, um, having that seat at the table, we've really come to realise that it is integral that we still create this space for Indigenous people and women 
um, because it speaks to many things, you know, our SDG goals, having no one left behind and addressing some of those systemic challenges that we've always had. So for now, we still need those Indigenous women's um, groups to really start to connect and and to get um, to have our place and presence and to understand how we navigate to then um, uh, join these other uh, women's groups as well. So it is quite dynamic. But what I really love about Australia being such a large uh, country is that we get to learn off each other as well. And and I would like to, um, you know, seek more openness from other women's group because I think there's a certain and a very special and impactful um, position we can take into the future in line with how fast this industry is, is growing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you you make quite rightly acknowledge that uh, um, you are probably in an unusual position for the majority of Indigenous uh, Australian women uh, involved in the forums that you are traveling in the world that you do. Uh, how do you ensure that the voice that you seek uh, to uh, find a place for in the mining and resource space of Australia rings truth with the communal needs of uh, Indigenous people and that as you become an international person, you, you don't find yourself uh, becoming more and more an international voice rather than an Indigenous people's voice. Yeah, and I really have come to appreciate and view that that phase and growth and evolution, right, as a person, because, you you know, you do grow and, and amazing people like yourself, you understand that you do need that perspective to help you understand how to improve and, and get better and how to solve this problem. But when I, what I'm truly grateful for of um, is that I, I believe I'm very grounded in my culture and my identity and where I'm from. And, and I think, you know, really knowing that and understanding and not forgetting where I'm from is very important. So, you know, keeping grounded is very, very important. And I keep grounded and in, in our Iwimra lead team uh, and everyone that represents Iwimra, we really do, we never forget where we're from. And, you know, at that same moment, we're often reminded about these other women's voices because we're in con- constant contact with each other, which is really lovely because so you know, we rise by lifting others is such a, a true mantra that we have together. And because this is an organisation that we have many volunteers across Australia, we always make sure that we're checking in on each other as much as we can, as practical as possible, right? Because we as women have many responsibilities. Um, all of these, you know, going to shift work and having 12, 12, 12 hours a day, um, you know, working stints, uh, you know, weeks on at a time and weeks off and coming home to a full house of family or community obligations. Um, balancing and, and prioritising the Iwimra conversation with these women in our network, um, that keeps us grounded and we are very supported every time we do travel around Australia or around the world. Um, we do make sure that we're, we're letting people know and inviting women along the journey as well. I think that's been our, our biggest um, um give back to communities how do we invite more women along but at the same time as well ensuring that operations value this as professional development and about empowerment and about activating or or really encouraging capacity building for their team members so I think it's a multifaceted kind of shift and and moving part but always growing so there's definitely still a lot for us to all learn uh, as we grow with IWIMRA. 
That's fantastic. So let me put that question another way then. In the context of public voice, is, is public voice universal or is public voice very uh, location and culture specific? Yeah, and I think definitely contextual. So location and, and culture specific, yes. But public voice is different, different um is voiced by different people, right? So we as Iwimra, we can say, okay, we as Iwimra, we believe in these values. We believe that this is the direction that we're going. This is we believe this is the impact we're going to have and how we're going to measure it. However, you know, in our context here, and this was really interesting when Jukan Gorge, the incident happened some years ago now. Public voice was a different thing for us as Indigenous people in the industry, right? So public voice became a very full scope. You know, it really started to involve a lot more people along the value chain. So we had a lot of our shareholders and stakeholders and the public, the general public, come to really want to understand more about the minerals industry and what Indigenous people's um, roles were in terms of participation, in terms of rights, in terms of transparency. I think there's a lot of um, facets around what public voice or how it's defined, but certainly for Iwimra, how we carry that public voice is that, you know, we are walking a fragile line, but we do find strength in connecting with other Indigenous people around the globe, yet, you know, they have different, we have language barriers often, but the fact that it's the same dynamics of um, uh, mining on uh, traditional lands and how that is, um, you know, divided up and how is that then um, coordinated or, or collaborated as we move forward. So it's it's a growing conversation. It's it's moving very fast. And our uh, our position as a woman is to make sure that we have a seat at the table. When you think about uh, uh, Indigenous communities uh, throughout the world, one of the things we know is the intimate relationship between uh, indigenous nations and the environment. Uh, the world is now struggling with how to find its own feet and so in some way try to trace back uh, to that knowledge. T to what uh, extent do you think having indigenous voices participating in this transition to clean energy space might help in harnessing uh, that indigenous knowledge of the environment, which is so vital, or, or or have we gone too far? Oh, it's absolutely vital, Sheila. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, it's I, I really come to value our knowledge as Indigenous peoples, our deep knowledge and care for country and land and how beneficial it, it has to be. Uh, in terms of serving its purpose in moving forward. And, and I believe that what, what it will really start to grow is that a respect for our knowledge, you know, a respect for the intimate generations of knowledge that we have across the globe. And, you know, what I really love, and for example, over in First Nations Canada, when I speak about the seven generations, I love that so much. And, you know, interpreting that and and implementing that or understanding that here in Australia is interesting, right? And, and we get a certain respect for each other as Indigenous peoples as well. And then, you know, connecting with each other and having a really beautiful overlay globally to make sure that we're guiding what this energy transition could look like. And, and I believe, you know, there is so much, there's so many people working in the right direction that if we if we just talk to each other a lot more and if we sit down and really make the time to understand each other, 
without rushing forward too far, um, I believe there will be we can be so impactful and sustainable and and meet many of the challenges. But I think it's really the intention of these people who are leading organisations that really have to have the courage to make sure that we've got all uh, shareholders or stakeholders at the table to make those decisions. And absolutely, Indigenous peoples are a vital voice at that table. Right. And and so far, do you get the sense that uh, the world itself recognises this and it is ready to embrace the prospects that actually Indigenous people at this time in history may in that context be in a leadership position? I do believe it's it's working in that, in that direction. Uh, for example, here in Australia, we've got many Indigenous industry, in, industries that are now valuing Indigenous knowledges and Indigenous leadership. Um, what I do find it, and I look forward to more is more Indigenous people in leadership positions to then assist uh, those internal mechanisms that really nod and, and make a culturally safe workplace, for example, for Indigenous people. But I think, you know, at a greater level, at a greater conversation, I believe that, you know, so for example, our international or global operations that we have is really is proactively um activating these Indigenous peoples uh, in different countries. I believe that web of Indigenous knowledge, for example, here in Australia, to Latin America, to over First Nations Canada, to any of these other countries who have people who belong to land, um, connecting us all that way is such a such a precious thing and I think would add so much more value that uh, that we haven't really even unlocked yet. So, so when you think of uh, ESG and, and the, the whole movement, how has it changed or how has it helped the way in which the world views the voice of uh, Indigenous uh, peoples? Yes, and I think it depends on what part or what table you're sitting at in terms of the conversation. You know, we can say people who are out there um, leading this conversation and introducing this conversation to co uh, countries and also to organisations, we understand how this mapped out could truly work, you know, in the best case scenario. However, I find that where the challenges are is when we start to operationalize it. So for example, you know, we, we as, as senior leaders can say, okay, well, ESG is a good thing and this is where it's moving forward and this is where Indigenous people sit in terms of social performance. It, it, it's given as a principle, but it's operational people that really have to unpack that and apply it contextually to what the organization is and and you know there's another layer to that because if the people who are operationalizing such things or mechanisms or initiatives as ESG if they're not well um, equipped with the tools to understand the long-term value of what they're doing um, there is such a certain there's a certain risk of failure and so this is where that middle operation piece is the people in there really need to be uh, connected uh, in terms of what the greater goal is. Um, so so I've really found that that's where the challenge is in terms of a, a top-down approach. How do we support the true definition of ESG and where that sits in terms of business value, how that adds business value, um, and then also how that will be a, a point of difference and also a, a competitive advantage for operations. So many um, facets to that point. And I think, again, going back on the fatigue of language, you know, in, internally 
uh, as an operation when, for example, you're thinking about um, diversity and inclusion conversations and then having the overlay of what ESG looks like to that and what the key deliverables are. There's definitely, you know, so many, so much um, risk of being lost or being fatigued in, in what you're trying to achieve. So I think um, us as I Wimra is, you know, there are so many definitions of what social performance can look like in an operation. For us, we're trying to lead by example. So as I Wimra, we make sure that you know, everything that we're doing, every forum that we're participating in is that we're representing our best self and our community to make sure that this is what social performance looks like in action. That's wonderful. Uh, so here's my last question because I, I I'm glad you you came around to the business uh, aspect of the subject matter. So as a, a, a an non-executive director serving on a corporate board, make a case then uh, a business case that is to say for uh, why uh, Australian companies and other companies in which they have a significant population of indigenous uh, communities should give the communities a voice. Why, what is the business case for that? Yes, and that is such a great question. And, and I'm so very proud to be serving on boards now to be given, to be having this uh, seat at the table, but also to be given an opportunity to direct a company to best practice or as best as we can. But, you know, touching on before when I said things are contextual, Australia is a very big company, a country and, you know, things move at a different pace. And, you know, you can only now reflect on the, de the demand for critical minerals around the world. You know, the, the, the pace of operations, right, of exploration to operations is going at such a fast pace, you know, and there has to be a compromise. And I think where does that sit? You know, where can we really return that value and ensure that Indigenous peoples are involved structurally at a policy level so then our key deliverables are not just the bare minimum? You know, it's not just what the, the federal government demands in terms of our Indigenous procurement policy, that we're going above and beyond to serve as a, as a citizen of the community, you know, to give to not only just our, the surrounding communities, but to make sure and know that you're building meaningful relationships. You know, you're really investing in a community for the long term. But I think where it sits now, you know, in terms of operation and then handing it over to uh, possibly another uh, organisation to take over the operations piece, it's how do you then translate your relationships that you've built with these communities to where we can actually really activate how, what that looks like. So you know, you're not you're not always going to uh, engage with an indigenous community in terms of their business services at the very beginning, but certainly along the life of the operation, you can. So how do we, um, as companies, make sure that? These relationships are a priority and they're structural and they're a very important part. And then how do we make sure that we're continuing that relationship as we hand over uh, from exploration to, op to operation? So it's definitely a relationship building piece. And, you know, it's not just um, incubated to mining, right? And, and this is some of the challenges that I've seen being in the industry is that, you know, when you're working FIFO or you're working in these operations which are so far from the city hubs are so really, really far from your everyday life. You know, we really do try to incubate a, the most perfect world, you know, where everyone is treated fairly and everything is amazing and, and it is wonderful. And, you know, it's certainly a, a, an experience to be on site. 
But I think, you know, um, you know, when we're dealing with these social challenges, it's a very hard task for us. And and the Indigenous engagement and, and relationship piece does fall into that as well. So there's some challenges there, but I believe that moving forward we are we are being more informed, we are feeling more empowered, um, but we're also making sure that we're, we're trying things and having the courage uh, to try things as well. That's fantastic. Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I wish you and your membership very well as you uh, ensure that the Indigenous peoples have a voice at the table, but not just because it is the right thing to do, but because actually it makes business sense and there's value to be uh, harnessed from their voices. Thank you very much, Florence. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sheila.